Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. I remember, though, on the flight from um, Miami to New York on, uh, on Thursday night, I'm at a place with American Airlines where between the amount of travel that I do and just the miles that I get from travel, and um, we have a, a, a corporate credit card for the church, but that has to be tied to somebody's uh, American Airlines account number to get the miles. And I'm like, well, it might as well be me. So um, last year during the remodel, um, we spent, you know, like $200,000 on the credit card. I mean, we paid it off, you know, the next day, so there's a zero balance. But, um, but I got a lot of miles last year, um, which promoted me to American Airlines' highest class of, uh, of, of flyer. I'm an executive platinum guy now, which I've never used to be. You know, I've always sat in coach, and I still buy coach tickets. But with the amount of uh, status that I have with American, um, I buy a coach ticket, <clears throat> and then I immediately get bumped to first class if there's an empty seat. So um, lately, I've been flying in first class a lot, and it's amazing up there. It really, like, I'm like, <laughs> It is a different way of life up there. Um, like, did you guys even know? Like, in the back of the plane, like, for 47 and a half years, I was in the back of the plane, right? But in the front of the plane, they get, like, a meal with, like, China. Like a, like a, like a China plate and, like, a glass glass and, like, metal fork and knife. Like a knife knife. And I don't, I don't drink, but a lot of people will ask, can I get a glass of champagne? And they bring champagne and a glass champagne flute. I mean, I could maybe ask for ginger ale just to fit in with the other first-class people. <laughs> On Friday night, I looked at the menu. They were serving a braised short rib for first-class people. There's just the eight of us. The rest of you people are getting peanuts. <laughs> so I'm sitting there just anticipating, because I know what's coming. I've had this service before. I'm, I'm anticipating my china plate and my cloth napkin and my glass glass and my braised short ribs, when all of a sudden the guy next to me let me know non-verbally that he was having stomach trouble. And he wanted to share his stomach troubles with the first class cabin. Silent but very, very deadly. Like the kind that you can taste. And not one. Like 12, 13, I'm smelling his colon cologne. And it ruined the whole experience. I didn't want my braised short ribs. I didn't want my china plate because he was sinning against the first class cabin. That stuff goes on in the back of the plane with the rest of you people. The chickens and the goats, the riffraff but we don't do that in first class. Today I'm gonna to talk about sin. Because there's things that we do that don't belong in the life of a believer. We're gonna talk about what sin is, what sin isn't, how to stop sinning, and the fact that we need to take sin seriously. 
Because for far too long, the church that I grew up in, 70s, 80s, 90s, we took sin very seriously. So seriously that we would shame to death anybody that ever got caught in sin. Everybody was sinning, but we got really good at hiding it and keeping it in secret because we would pile shame on anybody that sinned. We, we were making a really big deal about something that Jesus dealt with 2,000 years ago. But we were trying to use sin and shame to cause separation, to cause division, to cause class systems of how holy people were and how unholy other people were in our church. And we were separating people based on how we dealt with sin. And then I feel like lately the, the church has swung the pendulum way over here and preachers use expressions like, God's not mad at you. And we live in a dispensation of grace and we don't make a big deal over sin. Well, I want to make a really big deal out of sin without allowing any shame in our hearts because I want us to eradicate sin from our lives because we've allowed it back into the church. If we are God's children, sin is rebellion against the Father's plan for our lives and it breaks our Father's heart when we sin against him. Anytime that you look at the Bible, look at the kingdom of God, it would really help if you look at the the ancient plan, not just where we are in 2023, but look at how we are in context of the New Testament, in context of the Old Testament. Look at the character and nature of God over 6,000 years of recorded history, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and you can get a perspective of, of what they original designed for. We were not created to sin. We were created to be holy like the Father is holy. And there was a God didn't want robots. He didn't want slaves. He gave Adam and Eve a free choice. He's like, don't sin. Don't do anything stupid. You can, you can free reign of the whole world. Just don't eat that tree. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. That's the one thing I'm asking you is to not be rebellious against my design for you. The original plan, the original design for us was to be holy. Think about a hammer. A hammer has a very specific plan, a very specific design for the hammer's life. It's great at driving nails. It's terrible at spreading butter. Or if you want a, you know, a cup of coffee or a glass of water and you grab a hammer and you go to the sink or you go to the coffee pot, it's not very good at holding a cup of coffee. But it's great at driving a nail. When you use something the way that it was designed to be used, it's amazing and it helps everybody. But when you use something against the design that it was created for, it hurts. So very simply put, sin is anything that violates God's design for our lives. And in order for us to understand what sin is and how to avoid it, how to resist, we just have to admire and acknowledge and humble ourselves before an awesome creator, the one who created us to live without sin. We have to humble ourselves to God. We have to surrender ourselves to God. He is the one who defines what sin is and what sin is not. Sin is not open to interpretation of what we think it is. He is the one who says what sin is and what isn't. So we were not, just a few things, we were not created. We were not designed to lie. It goes against our nature. We were not created or designed to steal from other people. We were not created or designed to murder other people. We were not created to get drunk. We were not created to get high. We were not created for sexual sin. We were created for sexual things, but inside the covenant of marriage. And I, I'm describing to you a bunch of actions. We can do a lot of sinning without ever doing anything physically because sin starts in our mind and in our hearts. 
So Jesus said, you weren't created for even lust. Forget committing adultery. You weren't even created to think about adultery. You weren't even created to think about sex outside of God's covenant for marriage. So sin starts in our hearts. Think about greed. Greed is simply like, I no longer trust the design of the Father that God is going to provide for me. I long for your stuff. So we separate ourselves from the love of the Father. For some reason, we have allowed sex into the culture in the West like never before in human history. But we have to realize that the Creator created us for sex, but only within the confine of a covenant marriage. Our bodies were created for it, but we have to realize that we humble ourselves before the king of the universe and we say, God, I trust your design, I trust your plan, and any sex outside of marriage goes against God's design. Homosexuality goes against God's design. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were designed to live holy and not rebel against God. But the devil came and spoke a lie over them, and they believed the lie more than the Creator. And that led them into rebellion. So many times we find ourselves sinning, saying things we shouldn't say, doing things we shouldn't do, thinking things we shouldn't think because we've taken our eyes off the Creator and we have forgotten our identity in who He is. So this all goes back to Adam. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And that spread to all men because all have sinned. So Adam brought sin into the world and then like a plague spread it to the rest of us. All men have sinned, which then leads, of course, to the New Testament, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you told one little white lie in elementary school, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I'll tell you this, you were created, you were designed for the glory of God. Is the verse still up there? Look, leave it up for a second, guys. You were created for God's glory. You were created to experience God's glory. You were created to, to, to put your, your, your phone and your heart in airplane mode and, and just lift for, like sometimes people are like, hey dude, it's been 30 minutes. When are we gonna stop singing songs? We'll stop singing songs when you stop thinking about this world and you start thinking about the creator. We lift our eyes and our focus to him. You were created for his glory. You were meant to experience his glory. But what our sin separates us from the glory of God. So what do we do with this sin? We've got to pay for it. Romans 6.23 says the wages, the penalty, the payment for our sin is death. So somebody is going to have to die for our sins. But the free gift of God is eternal life, and it comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Adam and Eve brought sin into this world, and then it spread to the rest of us. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not die, but receive eternal life. And this sin has been passed down from Adam from generation to generation. In Psalm 51, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and it is in my sin that my mother conceived me. We're born into sin. Ever see like a two or three year old try to share their toys? Where did they learn the terrible, terrible behavior? It's just, it just was born into them. Now, a little bit of a side note and a little bit of a theology homework for you. It's possible that King David wrote that and he said, I was born in iniquity because my mother conceived me in sin because David's father, Jesse, did not conceive David from his mother. 
but that it was from a servant girl or that he had had an affair and that David was created outside of the, it's possible David was born in sin, literally. Think about it this way, when the prophet Samuel came to Bethlehem to anoint the king of Israel, he went to Jesse, he said, bring me all your sons. So Jesse lined up all the boys, but he left David out in the field. So then he's like, not king, not king, not king, not king. Where's, do you have another boy? He's like, uh, I, got a, I got David. So it's possible, we don't know this for sure, it's possible David was literally conceived in sin and that's why he wasn't brought in when it was time to pray for him. So that's why he said, I was conceived in sin. Another side note, my, my grandson, who's on the front row, I didn't, re I didn't see him. Now I'm gonna have a hard time preaching. <sighs> my grandson Hezekiah was born a month ago and Josh raised a great question. He said, Joshua, the father, Rebecca, the mother, have repented of their sin, the curse was broken, and they have received a nature of holiness and been done with the sin nature. So would that not imply that Hezekiah has had that sin nature broken and was born with the holiness nature? And I said, I don't know, we'll find out when he's two. <laughs> but it was a, it's a great discussion, it's a great, it's a great question, and I'm curious to see how that works. Whether, you know, you're perfect like Hezekiah or like the rest of us. Some of these people are like, this is a cult because they believe that that boy is the Messiah. <laughs> no, I believe it's possible to live without sin. We're going to talk about more about that in a minute. It's Jesus who transforms us to receive a new nature, to receive a new character, to stop sinning, to receive a godly nature. It's Jesus that returns us to our original design. It's Jesus who returns us to a sinless life. Sometimes people, when I talk about sin, people will... <laughs> I remember hearing this when I was in youth group, like junior high, high, high school youth group, that all sins are equal. Like there's no sin greater than another. So when I was about 24, we were going to Bible college uh, in Pensacola uh, during the revival at Brownsville, and I was on staff with the school, which meant I was given access to like the office building and some of the behind-the-scenes closed-door meetings from time to time. I was a little bit older than a lot of the 18, 19-year-old students, and um, I was married and had a kid, you know, like I was a grown-up, basically, not really. And um, I remember being in the hallway, or maybe I, I did, it, did it by email. Dr. Michael Brown, um, they had dealt with the discipline issue, and it was a sin issue, and I remember going to him in the hallway and being like, um, hey, doc, you know, aren't all sins equal? Like, did we really have to respond this way? And I remember him being like, um, no, all sins are not equal. Look at the Bible. Some sins were dealt with by killing people. Other sins were more medium sins where the people were just put outside the, the camp. And then sometimes all you had to do was go to the, the priest and repent. He's like, all sin is not equal. And he kind of looked at me like, come on, dude, this is big boy ministry. You're 23 now. Like, come on, like, don't come at me with your little junior high, you know, youth group question. And I was like, heard understood. You're going to ask Dr. Brown a question, you better go with your A game, you know what I'm saying? Like, like save your little B questions for like one of the other professors. All sins are not equal. Look at the Old Testament. If people committed adultery, idolatry, sexual sin, they were taken outside the camp and stoned. The penalty was, 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 was stoning. They were, oh, and, and, and murder, it premeditated murder. They would kill people in God's plan. Your medium-style sins, people would just be taken outside the camp. They couldn't hang out with the other Jews for a couple of days, a week, or whatever. And then other times, 
all you had to do was just go and say you're sorry and go to the priest and show yourself. So in one sense, yes, all sin is equal because all sin separates us from God. A big sin or a little sin separate us from God. And all sin, Jesus had to pay for on the cross, but all sins are not the same. There are some sins that are much more extreme in how God deals with them. Murder, idolatry, sexual sins. First Corinthians, New Testament. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I remind you, he wrote this letter to the church. He's not writing to the Corinthian unsaved world. Paul wrote this to the Christians in Corinth. He said, people, do not, do not be deceived. These people will not receive the kingdom of heaven. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, which you can add into that people that get high, revilers, swindlers, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then keep reading in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. He's saying you were made holy in the name of the Lord Jesus and the spirit of our God. The apostle Paul is saying there are certain sins that are greater than others and they will literally keep you out of heaven. But then I love that he went on to say, don't you remember that some of you guys used to be idolaters and thieves and swindlers and homosexuals, but you asked God to forgive you and he washed away your sin and he restored you to your original nature to be holy? So we as believers do not live in sin. So that goes back to the question, are, are all sins equal or is some sin worse than another? Jump down in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. He's talking about just about sexual sins. Every other sin a person will commit outside their body. But the sexually immoral person, they sin against their own body. So a sexual sin isn't like telling a lie. A sexual sin isn't like stealing something. A sexual sin doesn't just destroy the outside of the body. A sexual sin destroys your soul. Verse 19. But don't you know that it is your body that is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You have the spirit of the living God living on the inside of you. So we were created in the original design to live sinless, to be holy, and to have the spirit of the living God on the inside of us. Why? Because we were bought with a price. Jesus paid for our sins so that he could make us holy and return us to God's original design. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Jesus said, speaking of sin and some sins being worse than others, Jesus said the worst thing you can do is cause a child to sin. I know that there's a big debate right now in, in, in the Western culture with how people are dealing with children and sexual sin. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19, whoever causes one of these little ones, and he was referring to children, the little ones that believe in me, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and have you thrown and drown in the depth of the sea because you cause a little one to stumble. Woe to the world for the temptations to sin. It's necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one who brings those temptations. 
The Lord will deal especially harshly. This is Jesus himself. Like, you know how people that don't know Jesus, they're they're gonna go on the news and on TikTok and say, Jesus is nothing but love and cupcakes and acceptance and rainbows. You haven't read your Bible. (laughs) Jesus says, I want you to, to drown anybody that causes a child to sin or causes the temptation to sin. Side note, in Capernaum, they have found a 2,000-year-old millstone. It is this big. It probably weighs two or 3,000 pounds. And if you'd like to see it, I'll take you to see it in November. Sign up for the Israel tour today. And the work tour, you guys are gonna see it next Saturday. This, this coming Saturday, I'll take you to see it this Saturday. We're doing a little one-day tour, so you guys are gonna see that millstone. We don't know if it's the millstone, but I like to think with my imagination, Jesus was pointing to that millstone and said, if you cause a child to sin or you tempt someone to sin, we're going to tie that around your neck and throw you into the sea, drown you. Temptation's a big deal. So I don't know who runs all the porn websites, but these people will be dealt with severely. I don't know that we're clapping at that. It's, It's a scary thing. It's a very scary thing, because Jesus said in verse seven, the people that bring temptation on other people, they're gonna be dealt with severely. So let's talk about temptation a little bit. What is temptation? James chapter one, verse 13. Let nobody say when you're tempted, oh, I must be tempted by God, because it is impossible. God cannot be tempted with evil. So God tempts no one. But instead, verse 14, each person is tempted when they're lured and enticed by your own desires. And when desire or temptation, when it comes into our heart, it gives birth to sin, and then that sin, when it's fully grown, will bring death to our lives. So temptation precedes sin, kind of like a seed preceding a harvest. If you allow temptation to get into your heart, you've allowed a seed of potential future sin. But he said it's born out of your own natural, carnal, sinful desires. So we need to uh, remove sinful desires from our life. We need to stop being entertained by a world that is fixated with sin. But it is the church that binges on Netflix as much as anybody else. We are, we, we're allowing all of that glorification of sin into our hearts, which then leads to a thought, leads to a temptation, leads to a seed, which leads to a sin, which leads to death. So don't say that it's God that's tempting you. It's your own stupidity for putting yourself in a situation or being fascinated by what the world does. Why don't we just look at the kingdom of God and be fascinated by the kingdom of God? That would have actually been a good place to clap, not when all those people are dying, but that's never here nor there. First Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation is gonna overtake you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to be tempted. So if you're ever tempted to sin, that is just the right amount of temptation that you can absolutely say no and walk away from that and live holy. Don't ever think that you're being tempted beyond your ability. Because why? The Lord will always provide you a way of escape. There's always going to be a path to choose holiness. It's always going to be an option. The problem is we fixate ourselves on the sin and how fun. Do you guys know that getting high is fun? Getting drunk is fun. Getting angry and throwing a temper tantrum is fun. Sin is fun. Josie wants to rob a bank so bad, those are the movies we watch because she's planning in her head. 
Thank God banking is done online because when we used to walk into the bank, I'd be waiting in line and she'd be doing this. She's counting cameras. It's just like she read a book or something about some bank robbers when they were kids, so her whole life is like, one day I'm gonna rob a bank, it's gonna be amazing. Thank God banking is digital and she doesn't know how to code. Sin is amazing, sin is fun for a moment. But sin will always cost more than you're willing to pay. It'll always take you further than you wanna go and it'll always keep you there longer than you wanna be there. And Jesus knew that. So when the disciples came to Jesus and they're like, hey boss, um, we know how to pray like the religious Jewish prayers, but your relationship with the Father seems different, so teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, all right, all right, all right. Pray like this, Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come, let it come soon, let it come right now. May your will be done, where? On earth, in my life, in my heart, in my marriage, in my kids, in my city, as it is in heaven, let it be done on the earth. Give us today our daily bread. Give us our food that we need for today. Number 12, this is important. Forgive us of our sins. God, forgive me of my sin. It, 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 when, if and when you sin, you have to ask God to forgive you. But you also have to forgive other people that have hurt you. Other people say things about you they shouldn't say. They, they, they do things to hurt you. You have to forgive people that hurt you. Look at verse 13. Don't let us yield to temptation. Jesus taught us to pray, Father, keep me from temptation. That should be a prayer in your heart. Because here's the point. You can, it is possible to find the way of escape, to live holy, and to not give in to sin. It's absolutely possible. Why would Jesus say it if it weren't possible? So Jesus said, Father in heaven, holy is your name. We, we, we confess our sins to you. Help me to forgive other people. And Lord, keep me from temptation. It's important to confess those sins. My grandson can cry all he wants, by the way. Your babies, you have to go to the cry room. My grandson, that is a beautiful sound in my ear. So there is a double standard when it's my, is that, I've been waiting for that boy for a long time. It is sweet, sweet sound in my ear. So you're gonna go to the cry room, aren't you? All right. Even throwing my own grandson out of church. That's cold, that's cold. No, I miss them already. This is how, this is why we have, like some people will, they'll, they'll, they'll pray, they'll ask God to forgive their sin, they'll screw in a light bulb on the Jesus wall, and they'll never ask God to forgive their sins ever again. I don't understand that. Jesus taught us to pray a daily prayer. Lord, give me my daily bread, but I'm only going to ask for forgiveness once. What? Huh? Christians do stupid things. That's one of them. We need to learn to confess our sins. First John 1 John 1.9, confess our sins one to another. God is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will return us to our original design of holiness, but we have to confess our sins and ask him to forgive us. I love confession. It's important to get it out. And it's important to confess your sins to each other. Like when you have relationships, godly relationships, you're in a you group, you're in a small group, you've, you're, you're in covenant with other people, and you're like, listen, I'm really struggling with this, I'm really struggling with that. I, I, I've prayed, and, and I need you to help keep me accountable. Without accountability, there's no motivation for change. Proverbs 28, whoever conceals their transgressions is not gonna prosper, but whoever confesses their sins 
They're going to obtain mercy. Don't hide sin. If you're struggling with something, talk to another person. I highly recommend, and it should be a rule in this house, men with men, women with women. Because that's how a lot of sexual sin comes, as you go some, find some cute thing in the church of the opposite gender, and you're like, hey, I'm really struggling with you. <laughs> men with men, women with women, confess your sin to each other so we can help to encourage each other. Your, your forgiveness comes from God. Your accountability comes from men and women because God built us and created us to be in a family. We're in community. But why? We, we keep secrets because we want to avoid punishment. Do you realize that we are unpunishable because of the blood of Jesus? You, you don't live under shame and you don't live under punishment because Jesus was punished for our sins. He paid for our sins. He took the penalty in his body. So therefore, you don't need to keep it a secret. You need to confess it. Ask God to forgive you and get people to help you. There's no shame. Like if somebody comes to you and they're like, listen, I've really been struggling with this sin. You're not gonna be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. You should just give them a big hug especially new and young believers. Christians are the only one that shoot our wounded. Like if somebody, like if a baby's learning, like when Hezekiah in a few months, when he's learning to walk and he falls down, like we're not as a family gonna be like, stupid baby, get up, gosh, you should know how to do this by now. You were born without a sin nature according to my son. But that's not what we do. We pick them up, we kiss their boo-boos, we hold them, we put them back down, we hold them, we walk with them, and we show them how to walk. That's what we should do with other Christians that are new to their faith. All right, another tip to overcoming sin. Galatians chapter five and verse 16. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. It's hard to look at porn, get drunk, get high, yell and curse somebody out when you're praying in tongues. It's just really unusual. For someone to be like praying in tongues while looking at porn or sleeping with somebody. Like you can't give a word of prophecy to somebody you're sleeping with outside of marriage. So just stir up the gift of the Holy Ghost, you'll sin a lot less. Most Christians don't stir up the gift of the Holy Ghost so they have a lot of sin in their life. That's why it says in Jude, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're strengthening your inner man. So if your inner man's weak, spend more time praying in the Holy Ghost. Hello? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you, James chapter four and verse seven. So resist sin and temptation instead of leaning into it. Keep your focus on the creator and your original design to be holy instead of your, your focus on sin. So often we focus on sin and we should be focusing on the Lord. And don't put your, yourself in a situation. Like, there's a reason why I don't drink. And a part of it is I'm in ministry, and I want to set a good example that it's possible to be a 48-year-old person and not be addicted to alcohol, which seems to be almost impossible in our generation. But it's also because I come from an extremely long, my family tree is a keg, like on both sides. There's drunks on both sides of my family in every direction. So I choose not to drink because I don't want to put myself in that situation, which, you know what? I don't go to a lot of bars. I don't put myself in situations. I, I, I don't put myself in a situation where I'm tempted to sin. So stop putting yourself in situations where you're like, well, I keep, keep falling into sin. Oh, yeah, tell me the story. How did it happen? Well, I went to the bar, you know. Oh. Well, I, I was out with this woman who, is that, is that your wife? Well, as somebody from work. Don't be stupid. The Bible says that there's a time and season coming 
when a warning that we would call good evil and evil good. Isaiah said this 3,500 years ago in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Well, guess what, Isaiah? I think we have come to this time. When the world says what, what God says is evil, the world calls good, and what God calls good, well, the world says, oh, that's evil. We, we say that darkness is light and light is darkness. We say what is bitter is sweet and what is sweet is bitter. So we need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord, on his kingdom, on his word, on his plan, on his design for our lives. Do you know what, why I think the world in general has so just run away from the church's holiness? It's because of our hypocrisy. So many famous preachers saying, and I've worked for some of them, saying, you need to stop sinning, and they themselves are adulterers. You need to stop getting drunk and high, and they themselves get drunk and high. You need to stop stealing, and they themselves steal. Our hypocrisy is what has destroyed our credibility in the world today. So it's time for some men and women of God to stand up and stop leaving one foot in the world and one foot in church and put both feet firmly on the word of God and the kingdom of God with our eyes fixed on our creator and live holy. We were never meant to mix light with dark. We were never meant to mix holiness with sin. We were never meant to, imagine if you will, I've got a friend of mine, this is true. I have a friend of mine that is a rancher just east of Dallas. He's got, I think it's 800 acres, 800 acres and he's raising steers, cows, animals, things you eat. I, I don't even know what to call them. Big animals that taste good. He is working with another rancher in his area to start raising Texas Wagyu beef. Wagyu beef from Japan is a very sissified, limp-wristed cow. And they've tried it over here, and the 105 degrees in August kills the animal. So they end up having to put him in air-conditioned barns, which then just, you, you can't raise a great-tasting animal in artificial sunlight. So they are breeding Japanese Wagyu cows with Texas red heifer steers, Angus, red Angus, to create a Texas Wagyu, a, a very fatty, very tasty animal that can handle North Texas heat. And I, for one, can't wait to taste one. But let's imagine that they've already completed this process and my buddy is raising these animals and he's like, hey, you know, give me some money, come on over, help me butcher one of them, I'll give you a side of beef, you get, we'll, we'll butcher it up, we'll pack it up, you take it home. Let's imagine if I'm like, hey, come over to the house, I've got some of the first Texas Wagyu beef. It's fatty, it's rich, it's delicious. I've got my wood charcoal grill going out back and it's been kind of going and seasoning for a while. Like it's, even before the meat goes on, you're hungry because it smells good. We're standing around in the kitchen and I'm, I'm making up the patties and all that and it just looks fatty and red and delicious. Like you just can't wait. And I'm telling you the story. Yeah, I went over to East Texas and I was helping my buddy butcher this cow and we were having a great day. And you know, one problem is when we got the meat laid out on the table, some of the colon broke open and poured a little bit of the on top of the meat, just, just like a little bit. So we scraped it up and I got most of it out and I'm making up a patty for you. Like it's almost pure. There's just a little bit of poo mixed in with your burger. It's just like a little bit of a colon burger, you know, kind of a, just a little bowel movement for you. You still hungry? But that's the way we live our Christian life. We're like, I'm almost totally pure. Just a little bit of things I'd like to do. It's just kind of my thing. I'm a Christian, but I cuss a little. You've seen those t-shirts and bumper stickers? Like, I acknowledge God, but I'm not fully surrendered and submitted to him. I'm not fully sanctified and set apart 
to my original design to be holy like he is holy. Just a little bit of nudity on Netflix, but I'll watch the show. Hop up on your feet. We allow just a little bit of sin in our lives. Do you know that sin is actually the worst thing in human history? Because it cost Jesus his life. You do something that's gonna hurt one of my kids? That would be hard for me to forgive. But every time we sin, we're hurting the Father because we're taking the payment and the price that Jesus paid for us for granted. We have to realize that if you live in a high crime area, you lock your doors, you put bars on your windows, you'll have some motion sensor lights on the corner of your house because you're trying to keep the enemy out. But so many Christians just open the windows of their house to the devil and be like, hey, just come on in. I think what you're doing is amazing. I love some of your work. It's really funny. Like that one, like that witchcraft show, just a little bit of the demonic. I mean, it's just, it's got a good message to it. It's really fun. It really warms my heart. Just a little bit of adultery. It's, it's cute. You don't understand. Sin is, is, is crouching at the door of your life trying to destroy you and your children and your grandchildren. We have to take this stuff really seriously. We don't have to go back to 1980s Shameville but we do need to remember the creator and that we would recognize that Genesis says, Genesis chapter four, if you do what is right, you're gonna be accepted. But if you do what is not right, you have to recognize that sin is crouching at your door and sin desires to destroy you. So you have to learn to rule over it. So if there's a sin in your life you've been struggling with, you have to rule over it. You have to destroy it. You have to ask God to forgive you. Do you know that it is possible to live a sinless life? It's actually encouraged. Jesus found a woman that was caught in adultery. She was in sin, caught in adultery. So the Jews had stones in their hand, ready to stone her. Totally makes sense for that day and age. Jesus steps in, he sends all the guys away, he saves this girl, and then he doesn't leave her in her sin. He turns around to her and says, hey, stop sinning. Go and sin no more. Like Jesus wasn't like, it's okay. I know you'd like to have sex outside of marriage. No problem. Jesus said, stop sinning. We need to have that same attitude in our hearts like Jesus did. And let me also say this. Jesus would not have told her, go and sin no more, if going and sinning no more were not an option. Jesus will never invite you into something that is impossible. It is possible to live a sinless life. That's why he said, go sin no more. He's inviting us to live holy. He wants us to live holy. He's removed shame from our lives. Jesus is literally the perfect example of this. A, a God-man that lived without sin. He led the way. He set the example. So follow Jesus in his sinlessness. Follow Jesus. So many times, though, we think of living holy as a bunch of rules and regulations, like you have to live holy. Listen, you don't have to live holy. You are invited to live holy. It is an invitation. It's not about rules. It's not about control. It's about remembering the creator and what you were created for. You were created and you were designed for holiness. So keep your eyes fixed on the creator. Keep your eyes fixed on the holy one. Keep your eyes fixed on our loving father and stop doing things that break your father's heart. Do the things that bring delight and joy and peace to your life. Ask the father to forgive your sins. So many times, we have this sin in our life that we stuff down into our heart and we're in church, 
but we never have asked for that one thing to be forgiven. And it's like burning a hole in our heart. It's like a cancer. And you think you can just go on through life like it never happened, like you never cheated, like you never stole, like you never committed that sin. You have to ask God to forgive you. And you, like you can't just stick your hands in your pockets and be like, well, I'm hungry, 11.44, I'd like this wrap up, I can go eat. You should be running to the altar and laying on your face and saying, God, forgive me. I don't want this sin in my life anymore. It is possible for you to sin but you shouldn't enjoy it anymore. Like you shouldn't be a professional sinner. You shouldn't wanna get away with it. You should ask the Holy Spirit to point out anything in your life that is wicked, anything in your heart that is a cancer waiting to destroy your life. Ask the Lord to renew your mind and make you holy like he is holy. Ask God to transform your nature into his nature. In fact, let me pray for you right now. Father in heaven, I pray for our church family that you would make us holy like you are holy, that you would fix our eyes on the creator and on what you created us for. You created us to be holy like you are holy. Father, I pray that you would help us to eradicate sin from our lives, not because we have to, but because we want to honor you. We want to live up to the design that you created us for. We know that you told that woman to go sin no more, so we want to go and sin no more. Father, we know that it is a, it's, it's, it's eating us alive that we've allowed sin to remain in our hearts and lives. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be brave and to be strong and, and to ask for forgiveness, that we would repent, that we would surrender our lives to you in turn and run into your loving arms. Golly, that it's not a shame-based thing. It's not a punishment thing. It's a, I desperately long for your presence, for your glory. And it is our sin that separates us from the glory of God. Lord, we want your glory so desperately. So therefore, we want holiness. We want purity. We want joy and peace in our soul, deep in our soul. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and there's sin in your life and you need to repent, it might be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer, but for some people it's gonna be the first time in a long time because you've allowed sin back into your life. If there's anybody here that needs to pray a prayer to get right with God, I can help you, I can lead you, but I can't pray it for you. It has to come from your heart. But if you're here this morning and that's you and you need to get right with God for the first time, or the first time in a long time. Would you shoot your hand up real high? And just say, preacher, pray for me. I see your hands. Is there anybody else? Anybody? I see your hands. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? Back there, over here. Yeah, come on. Anybody else? Right there. I see that. Anybody else? Shoot them up. Yay, God. Yay, God. Yay, God. All right, YouTube. What about you? five or six people that are going to get right with God today. They've got their hand up saying, I'm, I'm going to get the sin out of my life and live holy. That's what I was created for. Right there between you and that screen, shoot your hand up and say, God, I need you to forgive my sin. If you believe this in your heart, why don't we all pray this to, together? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I want to be holy like you are holy. I want to go and sin no more and enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for loving me, for forgiving me, for making me holy. I receive the gift of eternal life and I receive the gift of a holy nature in Jesus' name agree say amen come on shout for joy for all those that got right with God today come on somebody 
Yea, God. Yea, God. Yea, God. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We're going to go back into a time of worship, and I, I want you to do business with God. If you were one of those that, that needed to get right with God, I want you to screw in a light bulb on our Jesus wall. If you're at home and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, pull out your phone and text the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244. That's just going to send you an auto-response form. Would you please fill that form out so we can begin to pray for you and encourage you, and we're going to screw in a light bulb with your name on our Jesus wall. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.